Welcome to the Memory Hole, where we talk about controversial ideas, unacceptable views, and pry through the madness. I'm your host, Brian, and this is episode number two. One of the trends that I've noticed lately is the frequent changing of definitions of words. Take, for example, the word racism. When I was growing up, it meant discrimination based on race. Similarly, Sexism was discrimination based on sex, and ageism was discrimination on age. Now, the woke orthodoxy has changed the definition of the word racism to be discrimination based on race plus power. So basically, since they consider some groups to have power and other groups to not have power, only certain groups can be racist. Essentially, the definition of racism is now subjective rather than objective. It's important to remember that words need to have delimited meanings. Definitions can't keep changing. If definitions keep changing, then it's impossible to communicate. With changing definitions, everyone could essentially have their own language and no one would have common definitions of words. You can't have a society where no one speaks the same language. Language is what allows us to live together, to communicate. Communication is vital. I sometimes wonder if that's the point though. By changing the definition of words all the time, we lose our ability to communicate and keep up with the constantly changing meanings of words. You can see this changing of definitions if you have an old dictionary and compare it to the new ones. If you ever happen to get a hold of an older dictionary, keep it. This way you can compare past meanings of words to new ones and wonder, why did they change the definitions in these ways? It's not surprising that definitions are always changing nowadays. So too are the narratives floating around society. Take the COVID vaccine rollout, for example. I think most of society was eager to get a vaccine so we could get past COVID. As it worked out, two paths were taken for the vaccine. Viral vector like AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson and mRNA like Pfizer and Moderna. Viral vector vaccines are more similar to traditional vaccines like the ones you get for measles, mumps, and rubella. mRNA, which has been around for decades, is a little different. For simplicity's sake, mRNA is like a delivery vehicle and the vaccine is like a passenger in that vehicle. So by the second week of January 2020, China published the COVID DNA sequence. With this sequence, an mRNA vaccine was designed within three weeks by early February. Trials began after this and the FDA approved the vaccine by December of 2020. Alongside the mRNA vaccines, viral vector vaccines were also approved in parts of the world by December of 2020. Immediately, out of the gate, politicians promoted the vaccine as safe and effective. I was curious as to how accurate that statement was, since there was obviously no long-term data to support that assurance. Like most people, though, I was hoping for an end to the authoritarian path where we were on. Then, some people started dying from these new vaccines. Still, It was stated that the death count was very low, so the vaccine was still called safe and effective. Then they discovered that some people were getting blood clots from, I think it was AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson, if I recall correctly. But it was still called safe and effective. And then some countries stopped using those two vaccines altogether. Then they limited Moderna as well in many places, preventing people, mostly males under 24, from using it because the incidence of myocarditis was too high. I guess they weren't as safe and effective as politicians said they were. So that's the safe side of things. Then we have the effective side of things. Firstly, as the truck convoy got close to Ottawa, Trudeau claimed to have gotten COVID and had to go into hiding. 
Don't forget, he was triple jabbed. Then, a study was published in the European Journal of Epidemiology on the 30th of September by Harvard researchers. They found that in 68 countries, as vaccination rates went up, the infection spread rates didn't slow down. So if the vaccines don't stop contraction and they don't stop transmission, I don't think you can call them effective either, at least not based on the original portrayal of safe and effective. At most, it appears that they may limit the severity of a COVID infection. Prior to COVID vaccines, I personally had not ever heard of anyone getting side effects from taking a vaccine. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, I just personally didn't know anyone. Now, I know many people that have had side effects from the COVID jab personally, although generally mild and not debilitating. Most of the people that I've heard from that got the jab got milder side effects, but the documentation is coming out every day with more and more people having side effects, some quite serious too. But politicians portrayed their positions with a certainty you know they couldn't have reasonably had. From the beginning of the vaccine rollout, they were certain about safe and effective. When new evidence showed potential harms, they were still certain. This causes some people to ask questions about what they're being told. And when those people ask questions, they're ostracized or silenced. Or worse, they're called conspiracy theorists whose ideas could safely be discarded without consideration. COVID has truly brought out from the shadows this conformity of thought, or this groupthink, if you will. When you ad hominem people that question your beliefs, you might want to think a little harder about your beliefs. Attacking people and not their ideas is a sign of the weakness of your ideas. Defend your ideas if you can and see if they hold up. It's okay to be wrong. This is how we improve over time. If we didn't find faults in our ideas, our ideas would be static and we would never improve. We'd be stuck in the stone ages. That's why science has worked so well in the past. It's only by having ideas that are falsifiable, ideas that can be proven false, that we can correct and improve our ideas. What we see these days are slogans like follow the science or scientific consensus. These slogans are the opposite of science. They banish falsifiability. What it is, is dogma. It's the narrative. It's political. Never forget this simple math equation. Science plus politics equals politics. The slogan for society today is resistance is futile. So when they finally dumped AstraZeneca due to safety concerns, People who had had their first shot with AstraZeneca were wondering, what do I do for my second shot? And of course, the politicians simply advised that you should get your second shot from a different brand. It's safe and effective. But how did they know this? Did they do sufficient testing on mixing and matching different vaccine brands? You know what they say about mixing beer and liquor. The point is that we can make and change decisions with new evidence. But politicians were very forceful and absolutely certain before the evidence came in. And then they were equally forceful and certain after new evidence came in. All this kind of garbage, this changing of narratives, creates doubt and distrust. It creates a distrust of government, of medicine, of science. It's not good. It appears that the authoritarian lockdowns that we've had for many months are now finally waning. In many countries like the UK, Spain, Sweden, Norway, Israel, and others, they're all lifting restrictions that they impose to fight COVID. You can see live on the news feeds how the narrative is changing in real time. It's like the science has changed overnight, as if the science isn't settled after all. What has really changed more recently, though, is public opinion polls. And when policy is made on public opinion polls, well, this is what you get. What's really unfortunate, however, is that politicians are only being judged on the COVID death count 
and not the litany of other problems and deaths that were created because of the lockdowns. The government only seemed to look at the benefits of the lockdown measured in reduced COVID deaths, but ignored the costs. It's quickly becoming apparent that the lockdowns and restrictions caused more damage than they prevented. According to a recent article out of John Hopkins University, the lockdowns in Europe and the U.S. only reduced mortality by 0.2%. That's nothing compared to the damage the government has caused to society. Here are some of the negative costs that the government lockdowns did to society. People lost jobs, lost their businesses, lost their homes, lost their savings. These losses may never be recovered and will destroy retirements. There's a mental health cost for many and an increase in suicides. There's a rise in drug and alcohol abuse. There's a rise in domestic violence. There was an unfairness of the lockdowns in how it affected the working class significantly while hardly making much change to the lives of the laptop class. This sounds an awful lot like the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. Many people gained weight as a result of not being able to go to the gym or being too afraid to go for walks or simply binge watching all of Netflix 27 times while eating bonbons. This contributed to the obesity problem, which is linked to poor health. This has also fomented a division in society rather than cooperation. One size does not fit all. The point is, politicians are only being measured by COVID death counts and nothing else. Trying to manage a virus with only one variable is terrible and very damaging. It also shows a complete disregard for the decision-making of individual citizens. Once again, Hayek's knowledge problem is in full display. We all know that government politicians are a subset of the overall population. What the knowledge problem shows us is that the government thinks it can know more than all the citizens combined. Aside from their overt arrogance, they believe that since they know more, they should make our decisions for us. Oddly enough, there's a good chance that no politician even knows your name, let alone what your circumstances are, or what decisions best suit your life or your family's needs. Clearly, we are too stupid to make our own decisions. It took two years, but many countries around the world started to lift the lockdown restrictions and allow people to have their freedom back. And then you have Canada. Hopeless, poor little Canada. Having had enough of the government's handling of COVID, the truckers created a massive convoy and parked themselves around the nation's capital buildings. This lasted for three weeks, and aside from blaring horns, it was peaceful and even had bouncy castles for kids, despite what you might have heard on the mainstream media. As a result, some of the provinces removed restrictions, but the convoy wanted all COVID-related mandates to be eliminated federally as well. So what was the response from Trudeau? He raised the authoritarian ante. On Monday, February 14th, he invoked the Emergencies Act. How romantic. This act basically imposes martial law. By the weekend, the police force came in and the convoys were removed. By that same weekend, the government was supposed to debate and vote on the implementation of the Emergencies Act. And what does Trudeau do that Friday, when the debate was supposed to happen? He suspends Parliament, which of course shuts down the debate. One has to wonder why he did this. For those of you not familiar with Canadian history, here's a few interesting details. In 1990, there was an Oka crisis. This was a dispute over land between a group of Mohawk natives and the government. It lasted 77 days and two people died. In 2014, a gunman fired shots at Parliament Hill, killing one person and shutting down the area for most of the day. In 2011, after the Canucks lost to Boston in the playoff finals, riots took over downtown Vancouver. 
Over the last two years, a COVID pandemic threatened all of Canada. And of course, 9-11, in which all air traffic in North America was shut down because of terrorists flying airplanes into buildings. You know what all these events have in common? Not one of them caused the Canadian government to invoke the Emergencies Act. Not one. So essentially, Trudeau and his Liberals are saying that the Freedom Convoy was a greater threat than all those other events that I just mentioned. These people are crazy. So what did they do with this new, virtually unlimited power? Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, announced that they would require banks, credit unions, fundraising platforms, and payment processing services to find the accounts of people linked to the convoy and freeze their accounts. This led to some people that had given money to the convoy while it was on its way to Ottawa and hadn't yet been deemed illegal to have their accounts frozen. For as little a donation as 50 bucks. Remember how I spoke about changing definitions a little earlier? How about we retroactively change the definition of a crime? It's crazy. It's like Minority Report, but in reverse. All of this could have easily been avoided if Trudeau simply spoke to the truckers or lifted the mandates like most other Western countries. As far as I could tell from the legacy media and social media, only Maxime Bernier went there and spoke with the people. But for Trudeau, he won't talk to people he doesn't agree with. It's like being guilty until proven innocent. Except, like the woke orthodoxy, don't give a platform to those you disagree with, and therefore you can't prove your innocence. Not only that, you don't get a trial either. Off to the gulag for you. So after Trudeau's abuse of power, I wonder how the trust will be restored with the banking and payment systems in Canada. You can't find a better definition of fascism than that. They've effectively told private businesses what to do, even though they don't own them. And even though the Emergencies Act is gone, the threat of having the government controlling those institutions is very real and present moving forward. You saw what they did to the Freedom Convoy by enacting the Emergencies Act, so what private institution would take the chance to be on the wrong side of this authoritarian government? It's much like when the same government spent $600 million buying the mainstream media starting four years ago. Everyone knows that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Much like big tech and the threat of heavy regulation, this nudging seems like collusion to me. What I think is lost, which is typical with politicians and their lust for power, is that once you let the cat out of the bag, you won't be able to put the genie back in the bottle. What flimsy excuse will a future government use to enact the Emergencies Act now that the precedent has been set? Probably the most important thing that came out of COVID in general, and this Emergencies Act in particular, was how the people were treated. The divide in Canada has probably never been bigger. We truly have an us versus them problem. Those people, the othered, are cast out as racist, misogynist people holding unacceptable views. The unvaccinated are treated as dirty, selfish pieces of garbage. Hostility towards the unvaccinated almost feels justified and warranted to many people. High-profile people aren't even trying to hide their disdain to harm people that think differently from them. Juliet Kayam, a contributor for CNN, suggested on Twitter that the government should slash the tires, empty gas tanks, arrest the drivers, cancel their insurance, suspend their driver's licenses, prohibit any future regulatory verification for truckers. Apparently, as she said herself, she will not run out of ways to make this hurt. This kind of hostility has no place in a civilized society and should be considered inciting violence. As a society, we always have differing opinions, which we have to be tolerant of. This is because you aren't always right. It's hubris to think that you are. And you won't discover when you're wrong without people that disagree with you. Free speech isn't needed for people who agree with each other because they already agree with each other. Fortunately, and despite the damage it's caused, 
Trudeau ended the Emergencies Act on February 23rd. It seems like Justin stopped the Emergencies Act early because it wasn't polling well. Governing by opinion polls is a very bad thing. What he did was not thought out or correct. He thought it would be popular, and the mainstream media, or the state media if you will, did its best to portray it that way. International media outlets, however, which didn't get bought off by the government, told a very different story. It was bullying at its best and was done for the purpose of keeping power. Power by division, us versus them. Before I go, I'd like to say that my thoughts are with the people of Ukraine. Honestly, it's hard to tell what the hell is going on between Russia and the Ukraine because the media here in Oceania is so dishonest. All I know is war is not peace. These are dark times. Quick question before I go. Do you think the US should use military force to stop Russia? Leave the comments on social media. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions, good or bad, leave them on Getter, Twitter, or Instagram at Memory Hole Show. And don't forget, speak up and make your voice heard, or you will forever be forgotten down the memory hole. All content from MemoryHoleShow.com and The Memory Hole Show is for the purpose of entertainment and is presented solely as opinion.